You see, right now, like, like this moment, December 31, I realize it's New Year's Eve and you're here with us in church, which is awesome. Uh, but I feel, like, I feel like I have 13, 13 and a half hours to convince you of, of the best possible, what I believe is the best possible New Year's resolution that you have. And chances are you had all year to think about this and it's coming right down to the wire right now. So if you don't have one, easy, we're gonna have one for you that I'm gonna share in just a few moments here. Um, but if you do already have one, I, I, I'm trying to get you to reconsider what that New Year's resolution might be in order to take what I think, again, is the best possible New Year's resolution. And that actually isn't to add anything to your life whatsoever. Because I think you have added so many things to your life over such a long period of time that now it's like, it's like crammed full. Chances are you've had so many resolutions over the year and throughout the year, maybe you do a birthday thing. That's my preferred time to do resolutions. That's why nobody asks you what your resolution is because you don't do it. They forget about it when it leads up to the birthday. But anyway, um, you, you've had so many resolutions, you've added so many things uh, over the course of the time that you've added more time with kids, more time spent at the gym, more time picking up a uh, ho new hobby, more time learning how to cook or more time traveling. You, you've filled, did I get yours thing yet, right? I mean, adding a budget, adding a savings account. You've added so many things to your life already that it's so completely crammed that you probably can't possibly add another single thing to your life whatsoever. So this morning, I want to say back off. Like, don't add another thing at all. If it's already full, if it's already, we're going to use the, the language today of like red zoning. You, you know what red zoning is in your car? When you're getting on the highway and it's like, you got to find that spot. You got to weave into traffic and the ramp is really small. So you pedal to the metal and you, you put that, that RPMs all the way into the red as your engine is like screaming and you're trying to, I drive an Elantra. So maybe I'm the only one who red zones it consistently. But, and I red zone it getting onto Kalamazoo Ave, riding out of the office every day. But like you red zone and you're like, this is not good for my engine. I can't live here all the time. But maybe just once in a while, like I can red zone it and that's okay. But many of you, many of us, we live our lives red zoning just constantly all the time. And if you were to see that in somebody else's life, you'd probably call it out and say, that's not healthy. That's not okay. You can't live in the red zone your whole life. It's not healthy. At some point, it's going to break down. But yet when it comes to us and when it comes to our lives, we live there all the time. So what, what I want to do today is not to add anything, but by subtracting, by pulling some things out that, that maybe are good things, but not the best things. Maybe are some maybe are some urgent things, but they're not the important things. By subtracting, we actually add this quality of our life, quality of relationships, quality of relationships with God, quality of worship. By pulling out and subtracting some of this stuff, we start to create this gap. And that gap is a badly needed gap between what we are doing and what we can do, what we could possibly do, what our potential is, and what we are doing right now. And that gap right there is called margin. And margin is the space in life where we catch our breath. And so next week, we're going to take a look at creating margin with our finances, with our money. Today, we take a look at creating margin with our time by subtracting some things, pulling some things out of our life to create that margin where we can catch our breath 
at least just this much in 2018. If, the, if you've ever found yourself making the following statements, this, is, this, this message is like tailor-made perfectly for you. If you've ever found yourself saying something like, I'm just gonna be a few minutes late, Chances are you need a little bit of margin or even worse yet, if you've ever found yourself texting somebody while you're driving, I'm gonna be somewhere. You badly need, no, I as a fellow driver on the road badly need you to create some margin in your life so you can like focus on the road. You're not laughing at that because it's probably getting a little bit too real for you right now. But if you ever find yourself saying, I can come but I, but I need to leave about 15 minutes early. Chances are you need that a little bit more of that margin in your life. If you find yourself saying some things, like I'd love to come to the birthday party, I'm just gonna be a little late. Or I'd love to come to the swim meet, my nephew's swim meet, but, but I'm gonna have to leave like right after he's done or, or I'm gonna have to leave like, like 15 minutes early. I hope he gets his race in on time. But like if you've ever found yourself if you've ever found yourself driving too fast or eating in the car, or texting in the car, chances are you need to create a little bit more, more of that margin uh, in your life. Ch- chances are if you found yourself at work daydreaming and wondering what's happening at home or if you found yourself at home, your mind drifting to what's happening at work, you need to create a little bit more of that margin in your life. But the dangerous thing is if you open up your schedule, maybe it's a paper thing, maybe it's a digital thing. I got a big, big computer monitor that I see my schedule. So it's terrifying when you pull it up because it's like right there, you see the whole month and it's all color coded. Like my, my schedule, my work schedule, family stuff with my kids, my wife's schedule. You get like everything on there. It's all like all these different colors and you just like look at the thing and it's this big mess. And what hits me, what hits me is that's just not a schedule on a document somewhere. Right? What strikes me about that is the schedule is actually, is actually an allotment of time, which is actually a short form, just a measurement of my life. So when I look at my own schedule and I say, that thing is a mess, or that thing is cluttered, or that thing is, is way too full, or that thing is, is red zoning. I don't just look at my time and say it's red zoning and it needs margin. I look at my life and say, this is a mess. This needs some clarity. And we're going to hear from the Bible this morning about this this needs a heavy injection of wisdom to see what the most important thing is. All right, we're gonna go to a place in the Bible, Psalm 90, that is gonna speak into this just so perfectly and so well. You can go ahead and find it. The page number is on the program that you received coming in. Um, there's Bibles. If you wanna follow along on paper underneath the chairs in front of you, the words are gonna be on the screen behind me from Psalm 90. You can follow along that way as well. But we're gonna go to uh, the Psalm 90 and we're gonna see that that this is actually a, uh, a, a prayer. A lot of psalms, sometimes they're songs, sometimes they're prayers. And we're gonna drop in, it's one of the first, one of the earliest recorded prayers in the Bible. So even though it's number 90, it was one of the very, very first ones and it was written by Moses. Now, just like if I were to drop into your life and to hear one of your prayers, particularly a prayer out of deep stress, distress, in fact, or just like if I were to, you were to drop in on my life and you heard one of my prayers, maybe out of profound joy over something that happened in my life, it, it wouldn't be super helpful to just see or just hear the words of the prayer, but it would really round that out if somehow you knew like what that deep joy in my life that I was experiencing, or if I'd go into your life and if I could know like what that, what that deep stress was that's bringing you, driving you to these words before God. If we knew what those words were, chances are this whole thing, the whole prayer would come 
come alive just that much more. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. It's a prayer from Moses very, very early on. Moses was an interesting guy. He led God's people out of Egypt, the Israelites, out of, out of this place of slavery where they just, they just made bricks all day, every day. That's what they did. And, and finally, there's a ten, 10 plagues in Egypt where God like flexes his muscles and shows the world just what he is capable of. There's frogs, there's gnats, there's locusts, there's hail in the desert. I mean, it doesn't seem like such a big deal here, but like imagine Egypt, right? There's all this stuff. There's darkness, there's river turning to blood. I mean, there's, these plagues are incredible. And it's like the, the profound glory to God saying, look at what you're capable of. And finally, the Egyptians say, we don't just want you to leave. Please get out of here. You're like no longer welcome here anymore. They like, let them go. The Israelites go out. And the first thing that they encounter, the first thing that they bump into, right, is the Red Sea. There's water ahead of them. And then all of a sudden the Egyptians change their mind and now they're chasing after them. And what happens is there's a theme that is repeated throughout the biblical book of Exodus, exiting Egypt, is the people losing trust and grumbling. The people come right up to the Red Sea and they see behind them, there's the Egypt and they see this, the water in front of them and they say, God, what's the deal? They say, Moses, more specifically. Were there no graves in Egypt that you took us out here to die? And you know how the story goes if you've seen the movie or heard this story before. The God parts the Red Sea and they go through on dry land. They, they, they make it out. If God can do those 10 plagues, he could, he could help them out there. Only what they come to a little while later is a place where they're drinking water and it turns bitter. And so, of course, they go to that grumbling place. They go to that complaining place again and say, God, you're not going to give us anything to drink? Moses, were there no graves in Egypt? Did you bring us out here to die? They go a little while with eating only manna. It's like, it's like this wafery kind of dust bread and they get tired of it real quick. I understand that. But then they go to Moses and they complain and say, Moses, what, no meat? Did you bring us out here to die? It's like, well, you're, you're going there a little bit quick now. I, like this is getting worse, not better. They go into that promised land, send some spies in where we pick up the Psalm 90 now. They go in and they like scope it out and say, these people are like well-fed and, and, and big and tall. And, and they come back and they're like, they're like giants over there. Moses, we're never going to be able to beat them. Did you bring us out here to die? And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. It's like dad driving the minivan to Disney World and the kids in the back are like, no snacks? Or did you bring us out here to die? Like my phone charger, you know, low battery on the iPad. Did you bring us out here to die? And it's like, we're getting, we're going somewhere amazing. Just hang in there for the journey, right? But it's like amidst this, this, this complaining and this incessant grumbling that Moses is so tired. It's after this last one that he is just exhausted. And God is like, they're not going to learn. I'm going to leave them out here in the wilderness until they learn to trust me. And it's not going to be a single one of them left standing. They're not going to learn, but maybe their kids will. That Moses, out of his distress, sits down and pens this prayer to God. Listen to it, not just from a time management perspective, but, but listen to it more than that. Listen to it from, from the perspective that Moses gains. He starts off in verse one, Psalm 90. He says, Lord, first word right off the bat, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. It's like he's saying that this thing is gonna start and end with God. This one is, is gonna be God's perspective, God's view through and through. You've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. This goes previous to these people now 
And it goes way back in the past. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. Like this is the perspective that he's, that he's backing us up to. When the, when the earth was like this goopy pile of lava, uncooled, like God was still there. Before ever, though, he brought forth the whole world from, and he goes, from everlasting, so like an infinite arrow in the past, to everlasting, an infinite arrow in the future. You are God. See, I think what he's doing here is in the distress, right? In those, in those time-crunching moments, in, in whatever, whatever it is that like squishes you down throughout this past year or maybe something that you're afraid of this year. When, when you get to that moment of, of deep stress and anxiety or maybe fear or shame or guilt or like whatever it is, like Moses has that, Moses experiences that and then he backs up to see things, not as he sees them, that's not his own perspective. He backs up to see things from God's perspective, from way back here. And you know what I think happens? The reason why he does that is that when he sees life from God's perspective, his problems don't seem so big anymore. Like when you see things the way that God sees them, when you see God first and when you see God last, whatever that stress is, whatever that distress is, it doesn't seem quite so intimidating anymore. The mountain doesn't quite seem so high and unscalable anymore. And then he makes it personal. He goes to people. Verse three, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by or like a watch in the night. He picks up that language of a watch in the night. It's a military term. It's used for one of the shifts that would happen. Usually the night watch would be something from like midnight to three in the morning. It's something that everybody else would sleep through. And so Moses goes, God, I mean, from your perspective on this whole thing, a thousand years is like that, like, like that middle of the night watch that most of us don't even realize because we slept right through it. You all, if you have kids, you, you use this principle to, to help your kids get to sleep before Christmas, right? Remember you told them that, hey, when you go to sleep, it's going to be Christmas, right? So like hurry up and sleep now because when you wake up, it's like all of a sudden Christmas time. That's how fast sleep goes. And now Moses is like, yeah, yeah, it's like that. But to God, a thousand years goes by just like that. I mean, think about that. Think about like the, anything that lasts. That country is a little more than 200 years old or your life at 70, 80, 90 years old. I mean, think about that from God. It's just a blink of an eye. It's a watch in the night. It's so short. And then he gets real specific. In verse five, the next line, he says, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. And in the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it's dry and wither. That new grass that just pops right up out of the ground. But by the, by the nighttime or by the evening time, it's totally dried up, it's withered, it's, it's dust in the wind, it's gone. That's life. That's how brief it is. That's how short it is. That's super inspiring. We'll see you next week. <laughs> no, no, no. Right, like on one hand, you look at that and say, this is not what I came to church on New Year's for. But on the other hand, I just want to like make the point abundantly clear that, that Moses is trying to make. It's just, listen, life is short. 
it tends to be a lot shorter than even what we think that it is. Your time, which is, again, remember, a measure of life is limited. It's a finite, limited resource. But something happens. I think this is why Moses is so, is so adamant about, about pointing this out, even though we don't really want to go in that place of thinking about how short life is or, or how limited our time is. But I think Moses brings us to that place because something actually good happens when we see that the resource isn't quite as infinite as we think that it is. We, when, something, when a resource becomes limited, we tend to get really, really deliberate, really, really efficient with what little of that resource that we have left. I'll give you an example. In my house, we're like Dave Ramsey budget people, or we try to be most of the time. That's not an endorsement of Dave Ramsey, of that Financial Peace University. That endorsement is going to come next week, and we've got a video, and we've got signups and small groups. You'll know when the endorsement comes. But for right now, I'm just telling you like how we run things in my house house is that we do the literal envelope system. Ours are actually envelope or uh, Ziploc bags and they have like groceries written on one of them. All right. And I do the grocery shopping in my family too. And, and what tends to happen, what, something that I've noticed happens just about every month is like I get the kids or one of them usually and we're going to go grocery shopping. And if it's the beginning of the month and the envelope is full and I'm like, kids, whatever you want, name brand everything, right? You want cheeses? We're getting cheeses, three boxes, right? We've got the whole thing. We Thins. You you want a lunch? You get a lunchable. You get a lunchable. We're all getting lunchables, right? Donuts while we shop, absolutely. But by the end of the month, when the resources become very limited, like I have changed my posture. You get it, right? Where I go to the store and I'm like, kids, we got $32 to stretch it out for the week, okay? We're only getting things on the list and only things that we have coupons for. We're gonna do peanut butter on bread all week long. That's all we can afford until next month when the whole cycle starts on over again. But the point of it, right? The point of it, when the resource becomes limited, we get a lot more efficient. We get a lot more deliberate with what little of that resource that we have left. And time is the same way. When I tell the kids we've got we've to leave, we've got to be somewhere in an hour, they'll spend 45 minutes fighting over what they're going to do next. But when I tell them 15 minutes and we're in the car, they'll grab Uno off the shelf and just start playing. It's like to get anything in because when the resource becomes limited, we get really efficient. We get really deliberate with that resource. What Moses is doing is he's taking everything in God's perspective because in God's sight, in God's view, and what better perspective, what better view is there? And he shrinks it up and he goes, life is so fleeting. It is so short. I don't say that to scare anybody or to depress anybody, but just as an encouragement, Moses does, to say, use what time you have as deliberate and as intentional as you possibly can. And then he takes it a step further because he's not just talking about money or he's not just talking about time. He goes so far in the next uh, couple of lines here, skipping down to verse 12. And Moses says this, he offers this prayer to God. He says, teach us, God, teach us to number our days. Many of you have numbered days in the past. You've circled a date on the calendar. Maybe it's your wedding day. 
And he said, okay, it's nine months out. What do I have to do nine months from now, six months from now, three months from now? One, what do I have to do today to be ready for that date? Nine months from now. You, you're numbering your days. You're counting them off and you're using them intentionally. You are, you are spe- you're using a strategy to specifically count out and to limit the time in order to use it as best as you possibly can. Not just so that you would have a good wedding, not just so you'd complete the project on time or the exam on time or the paper on time. You're numbering your days that, in the next line, that we may gain a heart. And the word that he uses there is wisdom. To gain a heart of wisdom. I think what Moses wants for us this morning, from us this morning, is to number those days, to use our time as wisely, as deliberately, as efficiently as we possibly can. So I want to ask, like, what do we do with that? Now that we know that coming into the new year, what do we do with that? Knowing that life is so much more limited and shorter than what we think that I'm and fleeting than what we think that it might be, what do we do with that? I want to speak to two different groups of people. And then, uh, and, then, and then wrap up with a story. The first group with a group of people is uh, those of you who are parents or be planning on becoming parents of any age, of any stage. Um, you know this. Maybe when you first had a kid, somebody did, or you watched a video like I did of, of saying uh, from, age, from birth to age 18 when they're, uh, when they're legally no longer children anymore and not your kids, they're adults. Um, you have 936 weekends with your kids. You did the marble thing, some of the, like the, jar, the two jars. You got 936 marbles in one and every weekend you just move it over as a visual represent, representation to remind yourself that time is limited. Your day number, your days, make them count. Use them intentionally. Around here at Encounter in 2018, I'm super pumped, super excited that our kids' ministry is kicking off this. It's not a new program. It's not a new curriculum. We've got a great program, great curriculum. It's a new perspective. It's called Just a Phase. Many of you have had kids before and you're like, don't worry, you'll get over it. It's just a phase. But around here, we're turning that on its head and we're saying, it's just just a phase. So make the most of it. If you've got a preschooler, it's just a phase. Number those days and make the most of it. Make the most of it because this is the stage that you can set them up for, for enjoying and actually loving coming to church because it's a, it's a loving place and it's a safe place. Um, it's just a phase, make the most of it. Teach them these silly Bible songs and simple Bible stories. In elementary school, it's just a phase. Number the days, make the most of them every single weekend that we have with your kids by teaching them a little bit more complex, a little bit more nuanced Bible stories and teaching them the truths that God has for them. Middle school, the good news, friends, is it's just a phase, right? <laughs> you make it through middle school, it's all about acceptance around here. It's all about finding your people and developing this Christian community community around you. It's all about taking some of those values that we teach here and, and you teach in your home and to start to make them this much more personal or this, the values or the beliefs, this much more living in, in just that child. It's just a phase. Make the most of it in high school. You know this because you're counting down the last spring breaks that you have, the last summer vacations that you have. It's three, it's two, it's one. Make the most of it. It's time to solidify that Christian commitment. That's what we do around here to number, to number our days. The next one, the next one is the group is for singles. Um, 
and I just, I'm going to name it because it's really awkward. It's really hard. And I don't think we do a very good job of it. But, but just something that I've noticed is that it's a lot more difficult for those of you who are single. And you guys know this already. So I'm just naming something you live in. But it's a lot harder, a lot more difficult for those of you who are single to say no to some things because there's this expectation that your time is unlimited. And if you have unlimited time, then, then you end up just saying yes to everything all the time. And then you like use up all of the available time. So you have to, you have to get, get really good at, at handcrafting that no in order to spend your limited time wisely. Your time is limited and you've got to limit your time time. Learn that, learn that now. It'll be a gift. It'll be a gift that'll keep on giving for your whole life. Listen, that's just a lot of like life principle kind of stuff that honestly, even if you're not a Christian, like it's just good. It's just good wisdom right there in Psalm 90. It's just a good thing, I think, to open up the Bible and to read it every once in a while. But, but for those of you who trust in Jesus, for those of you who lean on him, I think this is the most important thing that you'll ever hear. This story is Matthew, uh, Matthew O'Reilly. He's a paramedic in, uh, in New York City. He has been for a long time now, well over a decade. As a paramedic, he would, he would roll up to some of the worst scenes a person, a human being could see and for a long time, whenever anybody would ask him, look up at him with their last remaining gasps and ask the question, am I going to die? Now, Matthew would say, no, you're going to be fine. He would lie. And the people would kind of accept that or maybe not. But like a switch flipped for him one time and he said, you know, I, did, I didn't want to lie anymore. I knew what was going to happen to them. I knew that this was the, the very, very end for them. And so I decided to be what his peers would now call him as the honest paramedic. If he took somebody into the bus and with their last remaining gasps of air, they look up at him and they ask that question, am I going to die today? If all the signs pointed to it and he could say without doubt, he would tell them the truth. Yes, he will. You see, what he thought in that moment was that they would panic and that they would lose it, and that they'd, they'd go into this mode of chaos. But he said a funny thing happened. They didn't. Almost nobody panicked. And instead, it was this relative calm that took them over. And he noticed these three things. He noticed three things that would happen with every single person that he looked into the eyes and said, your days are numbered. In fact, right now, your minutes are numbered. And the reason why I think this is so important for each of us to hear is because right now, it's so easy as a 20-something, 30-something, 60, 80-something, it is so easy to continue seeing our time as this unlimited resource and not to number our days because there are so many of them. But if we take a page out of Matthew's playbook and we look into these eyes when somebody doesn't even just have their days numbered, but their final minutes numbered, the wisdom that they gain that Moses talks about in Psalm 90, I think is crystal clear because they're staring death in the eyes. And Matthew looked down at this guy, elderly man, massive heart attack, ready to go into cardiac arrest. He's got the defibrillator pads ready and with his last gas, am I gonna die? Yes, you are. And Matthew said, it's funny, like every single person, him included, 
who goes through this has this reaction where they, where they need some kind of acceptance. No matter what their religion is, no matter what their cultural background is, and in New York City, he has seen it all. Everybody needs what he calls acceptance, or maybe it's forgiveness. Everybody needs somehow to have that guilt. We all need to have that, that guilt that is within us, whether we want to stuff it down deep or not. We need to have that pulled out and removed somehow. And this elderly man looks up at him, somebody he's never met before, and he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I was so selfish with my time. I should have given more of it away. I should have given some to my kids. I should have given more to my grandkids. I'm so sorry. And the next one, he goes, everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what cultural background they, that they come from, is everybody needs this sense of meaning to their lives. It comes up to this scene of a 50-something woman trapped T-bone in her car. 45 minutes it took, it took the, the fire department to peel open the car, to even just to get her out. And he was with her, trying to keep her awake and alert the whole time. And she's recounting through her life everything that she had done, hoping that some of it, any of it, adopting twin kids, seeing them off to medical school, hoping that some of it brought meaning to her life. And the last one, he said that every single person, no matter who they are, where they come from, is just desperate to live on, to be remembered. He said, as a paramedic, as a completely random person who simply just showed up to the scene, we've never met before. How many people have looked into my eyes with their last gasp of air and says, will you remember me? He said, no matter what, we all need this sense of immortality, of living on. Forgiveness, meaning, immortality. When the days are numbered, when your minutes are numbered, I think we can believe Matthew and to say it's those three things that we absolutely need. So I just encourage you this morning in 2018 to consider taking that next step of faith because if you find yourself believing as Moses did, if you find yourself believing and leaning on and trusting Jesus, then you believe, then you get to believe. You have the privilege of knowing that when you meet death and those minutes are short, you don't just see death. Death isn't what awaits you in those final minutes, but just beyond that is a God with open arms that is willing and ready to extend for you that forgiveness, to remove that guilt, to remove that shame, to remove that fear. That waiting on the other side of death is a God who's ready to walk you through the moments of your life, to provide and to point out the meaning that he was imparting into everything that you said in everything that you did, that on the other side of death is a God with open arms ready to grant you living and eternal life. That is the hope of the gospel. That is how we'll number our days. In light of that coming moment, your time is limited. Limit your time the back of the chairs, there's a connection card. If you'd like, pull it out right now. There's a pen in the back there too. You don't have to fill anything out. You don't have to turn it in. You don't have to put it in a bucket or a basket. You don't have to show anybody. But just write down one thing. One thing that you're going to subtract this year to make room 
to create space, to create margin for the most important things in your life. Write down one thing that you're gonna make less time for. Maybe it's an app, maybe it's an electronic devices. One thing that you're gonna do less of, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's hunting, maybe it's golfing. I don't golf or hunt, so it's easy for me to do that. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's initials. And you say, this relationship just isn't God glorifying. One thing they're gonna do less because your time is limited. So limit your time. If I to stand up, let's pray together. Gracious God, it's your perspective that we seek. God, it's you that, that was around before the earth was formed, before the mountains sprang up. God, it's you who brought all of this into existence. And it's you who will live on far outlasting us from everlasting to everlasting. And God, you've taught us this morning that our time is so short. Our moments are so fleeting. God, our resource of time of our lives is limited. Teach us what it means to limit our lives. Give us the courage to stare onto that page and to subtract one thing that just doesn't belong in the holy lives that you are creating us into. God, teach us how to follow you more closely this year. Teach us how to rely on you more heavily this year. God, show us that when we have the hope of seeing you with open arms on the other side of death itself, that that changes what happens on this side, that that gives us hope, that that gives us faith, that that gives us courage, that God, that gives us new life starting today.